Uh, my mom had to put up with a lot, so I raised five boys and um, in a little beach town, and we're a bunch of skaters, surfer, punks, and uh, my dad, great, but he worked a lot at certain seasons of our life trying to figure things out, so my mom handled us uh, a lot on her own. And uh, I remember one particular incident where uh, my little crew and I, my, my brother younger than me, Daniel, and probably like four or five of our friends, we were just these little skate rats every day after school. We are probably 12, 13 years old. Uh, we just get our boards and we just go skate and kind of just terrorize. And uh, we had an old Jeep in my backyard, my side yard kind of, uh, was a Jeep Willys. And I have this picture of this Jeep. My dad picked up this Jeep. It was kind of his dream Jeep. And it was this restoration project that went on for many years. And sometimes it ran. It usually didn't run. It usually just sort of sat there. And it was just called Willys. So we just called it the Willys. And it was like our clubhouse. So, so Willys became our clubhouse. And it was kind of all gutted on the inside and, and, and rusty. And uh, we'd go in there, park our skateboards out, and just go in there and just, like, be boys and just stink and drink soda and, and laugh, you know. And that was kind of our, our deal. Uh, one time, though, after, uh, after going out and skating, we came back to the, the Willys. We're hanging out in this thing. And we were talking about, like, all these cool, like, skateboarding art tags that we were doing, like, skull and crossbones, if you remember any of the Powell Peralta stuff, like, uh, you know, the Bones Brigade and Rat Bones and all these, like, you know, skull and crossbones kind of things. And one of our friends were sitting in this thing, he's like, we should paint the willies. And I'm like, and we're like, yeah, totally. Like, let's paint my dad's vintage Jeep. I'm sure he'll be stoked. And, uh, you know, we kind of kicked it around a little bit, and it, it, we just gave in. And my brother and I just like, yeah, let's paint this thing. Like, let's tag it. It'll be like our cool, like, Bones Brigade clubhouse. And I think we saw it on some skateboarding movies. So we're like, yeah, they did it on the movie. Let's, skate, let's paint, paint the Jeep. And so we go to our garage, and we find whatever pa- spray paint's around. It's just some, like, hideous, like, neon green, like, fluorescent paint. And we just start painting, like, these really bad, like, skull and crossbones rats and stuff on the, on the Jeep and all over the inside of the Jeep, right? Like, skateboarding is not a crime and these kind of really dumb things. And that seemed really meaningful at the time. And we just kind of trashed this, this kind of rusty old Jeep. And, uh, and we left it, and I, and I don't know what we were thinking. I, I think at some point in my own process, I was like, I'm going to get it for this, but whatever. We're just going to have to deal with that later on. We're going to go out and skate again. And uh, we come back hours later and go back to, go back to the Jeep to kind of see what had gone, you know, what, what we can do about it. There's any way to fix it. And my mom's in the Jeep, like on her hands and knees, crawling around with paint thinner, just wiping off all this spray paint that we just kind of trashed this Jeep with, just like, just cleaning it up, because he just knew my dad would flip if he found out. And uh, later that day, sure enough, like, my dad, you know, kind of comes, gets home, and one of my little brothers poked his head around the corner while we were painting on it, painting it, and of course ratted us out, told my dad we painted it, and he kind of checked it out the window. I was like, oh, I don't see anything. And, and uh, my mom's like, oh, it's fine. It, it, was, it was washable paint. And she just, like, saved our butts from, uh, you know, from my dad in that moment. And I don't even know if that was the best thing to do for us. But I know it was my mom's heart for us was, like, we were having fun in this thing. She just wanted to protect us, protect us from ourselves. And I think we see that in, our, in moms and in, in, in those kind of figures in our life that protect us from ourselves. And ultimately, true love does that. And it's really hard because it's sacrificial, and it actually means taking some pain yourself. But this is such the gospel, right? The gospel is that a mom would go in and wipe off all this paint on this Jeep to kind of save us from the wrath of the Father. And my, my dad could wrath, too, so it was, a, it was helpful. But she sort of spelled us out in this thing. And I, and I was thinking about this, this, this week, those acts of love that, that don't even seem fair. 
It's like, well, maybe you should have just got punished, but love will step in and we'll, and we'll create a different story. It's like, I want to protect you from this thing that you brought on yourself. Like, maybe you deserve it, and sometimes we need discipline, but sometimes this love will just jump and say, you know, I'm going to save you from yourself. I'm going to protect you from yourself, uh, even though you might, might deserve this. And the disciples, at this stage of, of the journey, we've been looking kind of through Easter, through the end of Luke, uh, they're starting to get a glimpse of this thing from Jesus, this gospel, of this love, this salvation through the cross that they've, they've been given. And now they're kind of being called to own it a little bit themselves. So I'm going to read a little bit from Luke 24. We've been following this for the past few weeks, if, uh, uh, if you've been here. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's, it's really a continuation of this, of this Easter story. And, and it doesn't end with the resurrection. Luke continues it on. And, and I'll just pick up from a little bit from last week. If you remember, Jesus is now making his appearance to the disciples. They're hanging out. Uh, they, they thought he was dead. He's risen again. He's showing up, and they're like kind of in disbelief. Uh, so Jesus shows up in this upper room where they're hanging out, and he's like, hey, I'm not a ghost. Look at my hands and my feet. And they still stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And we talked about that last week, this, this disbelief, these this aposteo moments where we, we see it, we believe it, but there's something holding us back. We're still not completely sure. And so, so he says, they stood there uh, with disbelief filled to join one and asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me, the law of Moses and the prophets and the, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So this sort of illumination moment for them. And he said, yes, it is written long ago that Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And I will send you the Holy Spirit, just as the Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, lifting his hands to heaven. He blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. So there's this closing to Luke's, to Luke's book here. And he'll continue this on in Acts. But there's a transference here of the responsibility. Hey, this is this, this story. Let me, let me summarize this. Jesus, let me summarize this for you. There's forgiveness of sins now. You guys are, are freed from this, this guilt and shame and these works and all this stuff you're trying to do to get yourselves right with the Father. He's like, there's forgiveness now. I've covered that. And now you're witnesses to that. Now you, you take that. Now you go. You take the mantle. You will now proclaim this uh, in these cities. And there's this handing off period of here. And for Luke, this is going to roll right into Acts. It's, it's starting to happen. He said, okay, this is, this is just as important as this first part of the story is the second part of the story where now the disciples go. Uh, and they're still figuring this thing out. If you can imagine yourself in these kind of places where you've been told something, maybe at work or if it's with music or a hobby, like you've learned something and then it's your turn to go. Like, all right, now you go. It, it can be a little scary in those moments. Hey, buddy, free hugs, huh? I'm in. It can be scary in those moments. And the disciples are kind of processing this out in that time. I'm just going to read through Acts. I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's important to kind of know how these things connect together. Uh, in our Bibles today, the way they kind of put it together, it, it does it a little slight disservice because Luke really should be next to Acts, Acts and we find John in here. But Acts 1 goes, goes like this. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. 
Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem till the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So there's this beginning of this new story where the disciples are going to now own the work that Jesus had done. They're going to be witnesses to it. And, and, they're, and, they're, and they're still trying to figure out actually who Jesus is at this point, but he's, he's, he's releasing them. He's saying, listen, you're not going to have it all figured out. I'm going to send help, but this is kind of how it's going to go down. I had a, a job as a, as a kid. Uh, I don't remember being this, I don't remember particularly being super ambitious as a kid, but as I think back, like, well, I guess I was in some ways. When I was 11, I took a job working for a bakery. It was a summer job, and I just, I guess I need money for skateboard and spray paint and stuff like that. So I took a job working for this bakery, and I'd, I'd help with pans and in the back, but mostly what I did was I, w- I would sell newspapers out front. So I have to come in real early, like 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'd put all these newspapers together as you know, 11, 12 years old, and I'd sit out front and sell, sell like the New York star or whatever for like 25 cents and that was sort of a job from probably six six in the morning to like 11 in the morning and I, and I did that for a couple summers as a kid there's actually a lot of tales from that for another time it was a really interesting uh kind of kind of part of my life that i had i've almost forgotten until recently but but after a couple of those summers my dad came to me my dad was a businessman and he worked on our an island where we lived and he owned a small business uh uh, putting awnings up on really nice houses so it was a really successful business it's great big retractable awnings and these beach homes and he, he was a social worker in the off-season. In summer season, he, he ran this awning company. And when I was, I think, 13 or 14, he came to me and said, hey, you know, I don't want you to be working at the bakery anymore. I want you to come work for me. And I was kind of like, mm, I don't know. I kind of like working for the bakery, Dad. And, like, what are you offering? And he's like, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pay you X amount, and I just want you to come follow me around for the summer. Like, you're not even going to do anything. You're just going to shout at me. So you're going to get up with me in the morning. We're going to go to work together. We're going to work all day. We're going to come home. You're just going to be with me. And I kind of went over that, and I, and I almost felt like, ah, I probably don't really have a choice, and, and the money was better, and I was kind of actually over the, over the bakery anyway. So I went to work with my dad, uh, and at least for one complete summer, and bled into subsequent summers until I could drive, I just followed him around all the time when he went to work. Um, and I just watched him on the phone, I watched him do installations, I watched him do sales, I, I watched where he ate lunch, I looked at how he talked to people, and just sort of lived this, this day life with my dad, what he did in the summer, from, from early in the morning to sometimes late, late at night. And it was hard. My dad works really hard. He is super anal, so I had to like deal with that about like how to put things back in the truck, in the toolbox, and no, it doesn't go in this drawer, it goes in this drawer, and those screws go on this side of the van, not this side of the van. And, and like I had to kind of deal with, this is how you tie the extension cord, this is not how you tie the extension cord. And this, is when you could, this is when you could speak up in front of customers, this is when you cannot. I learned a lot about discretion that, that summer. I would say things, and afterwards, he'd have some choice words for me about what I would say in front of the customers. And uh, I learned a ton. I learned a ton. And for a whole summer, I did that. And in another summer, I, I did quite a bit of that and started doing a few things on my own, but really up until I was 16 to where I can drive, at which point I was really released to be doing my own work. So uh, leading a sales team and leading installation teams and, and just go. And I did that for, uh, for years through high school and, uh, and, and the college years. Uh, but I remember going to those first couple jobs on my own, like going up to the door when I was actually had my little briefcase and my papers, my pencil, and like, okay, I'm going to be like my dad. I'm going to do this. And I have my measuring tape and already, you know, comb my hair and like, all right, here we go. And just getting up to the door and just being terrified. Like, I, I knew how to do this. I, I'd done this with my dad so many times that when you have to step out on your own, it's a scary, it's a scary place. And the people would come to the door and like, hey, you from the awning company? I'd be like, 
I don't know. I, I don't know. And I would just kind of go away. Like, maybe I'll come back later. I'll send my dad. You know, I, I, it was a weird. You know, you just, you, you drop that. And if you've been through these processes where you've learned something, and, and then maybe there's the test or it's time to play music up front or it's a new job or new, and, and it's, all of a sudden it's time. Like, oh, I forgot. I don't know. I, I'm afraid I don't know how to do this. Uh, but you kind of own your story and you own what you're doing. And you just move on. Right? You, we, we just step into those things and eventually it becomes easier and easier. And the disciples are beginning that process as we kind of journey into Acts for a little bit. They're kind of stepping up to like, I, I, I know we spent all this time with Jesus and we should know how to do this, but we, but we really don't know what's going on. And it's interesting as, as Luke, we talked about last, in the last couple of weeks, he mentions this in, in Acts 1. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. So he has this, this experience with them in the upper room, like, check out my hands. They're like, oh, we don't even believe it. We don't know what to make of this. And they have this, this apostale moment where they, they see it, but there's this, their belief is betray, like betrayed. And like, okay, I think we get it. And then, like, they don't get it again. Jesus almost, almost he's saying, he keeps coming back, and I have to keep proving to you over and over again, I am alive. I am alive. Do you understand that? Do you get it? I am real. And like, yeah, we get it. And like, no, we don't get it. Like, we don't know what's happening. And, and I, I love how Luke includes that from the end of the book of Luke and really into Luke 2 or Acts. Jesus is, is taking time with these guys to make sure they get it. And I love that patience of him. Like, he would come back, I feel like Jesus, and if you need to see his hands again, you could see his hands again. If you, you're having these moments of disbelief with God and you believe once, like, it's okay. He's okay with that. He will be happy to try to prove himself to you again. He said he made sure during these 40 days after he suffered and died, he reappeared to the apostles time and a time proven to them in many ways. Like, oh, that wasn't good enough for you. I ate with you. What, what else can I do? Do I drink with you? Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to go climb some mountains, some rocks? Do you want to touch my hands? Like, how can I make sure you know that I'm alive? And it's this really beautiful image of Jesus being with these guys and processing with them. And as Luke, of course, likes to include, as we've talked about, he's eating with them so over meals. Once when they were eating, he said, listen, I'm gonna, and I'm going to help you. And this is cool when we think about our own lives as we try to understand God. And we have these moments of disbelief. But for many of us in this room, I I look around, I know we have a sense of calling. And you're not sure 100% how to do that, but you feel like there's something I should be doing. I should be a a witness to this love in some way, in some fashion to others. I should be witnessing this story of redemption and of grace. And it's just good to know God has grace for that. God has grace for us in our process, and he wants to continue to reveal himself to us so that we may share that with others. And so they have this kind of, this, this, these moments, and, and, and Jesus comes to them, and, and he really, I think this is what's key here, as they get ready to set off to kind of plant this church 2,000 years ago that ends up going massive, right? The church is huge worldwide today, and these, these sort of ragtag bunch, ragtag bunch of guys created it. He says, and even though I'm, I've given you all you need to know, you've touched my hands, I'm alive, you know the story, I'm still going to help you with the Holy Spirit. I'm still going to give you something to come alongside you. And what that says to me, and this is, this is where I think we could have grace for ourselves, the mission, the calling of discipleship, the Great Commission is hard. It's super hard. Jesus is like, you know what, I'm going to send God and the Holy Spirit for him to be with you. That's how challenging this is going to be. This is what you're going out to do, but don't stress out about it being super difficult. I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send, like, the best guy. I'm going to send the best guy to go with you. 
And that's Jesus' heart for his disciples. He's trying to take the weight off of, of, of the mission. He's trying to take some of this burden off. Like, listen, don't worry about all that. I'm going to help you. Right? If, as if they're going into battle, I'm going to send you the best guy to fight with him. I'm going to put the best guy in your team because you need help. We need help. We need the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Jesus is working with, with his team that way, and he wants them to know you're safe with me. You belong to, to, to me. You belong to this way. I'm excited for what you're doing. It's not going to be easy. I'm going to send, like, the ultimate help, which is a per, per, part of the triune God to do this with you. Because, frankly, otherwise you couldn't do it. It's a hard thing. Jesus did it. He's God. We aren't expected to have to live up to that sort of momentous person, right? Like, it's okay to sort of deal with these moments of disbelief. Like, it's when they showed up again and again. You guys get it? I'm alive. You guys get it? Yeah. No, we don't get it. I'm alive. Like, over and over, Jesus is trying to say, it's okay I'm going to work with you until you're comfortable. And even when you're feeling a little bit comfortable, I'm going to send help. So when you get to the door of the, of the person's house and you feel like, I have no idea what I'm doing here, it's okay because the Holy Spirit will be with you to help you in those moments. I read this great quote uh, this week, an author by the name of Brené Brown. and She says this, uh, Those who have a strong sense of love and belonging have the courage to be imperfect. Those who have a strong sense of love and belonging have the courage to be imperfect. And I think the heart of Jesus in these, in these final days is just to continue to, to drum into his disciples' hearts this sense of love and belonging. At which point, it's okay to go out and be imperfect. And some of us need to hear that really loud and clear today. It's okay to be imperfect. But when you, and when you have that strong sense that God loves you, you belong to him, it sort of breeds a sense of courage that it's okay, I can go out and I can fail, and I can mess up, and I can say the wrong thing, and I could try again. Right? When I was working for my dad, one of the things I, I had going for me was a sense, a strong sense of love and belonging. Even though I would get in trouble from him, and sometimes I'd have to pay bills of things I broke, I, I never really worried about being fired, right? unless I really brought that on myself. Because I, I belonged to him, and I knew he loved me. And so it gives you this courage, like, okay, I'm going to go out and try this thing. And, and, and if I do it well, great. If I don't, that's okay, too. I can try again. Those who have a strong sense of love and belonging have the courage to be imperfect. And I, and I love, I was to brag on my wife a little bit. I, I just watch her with people. I watch her with my kids providing that sense of love and belonging. And, and she exudes that to people. And people feel comfortable around her because she, she makes them feel loved she makes them feel like they belong, right? And what a great mission for you and I to think about people around us in our lives. We need to feel, if we don't have that sense from God, we're not going to be able to pour it out to other people. But if you feel that sense from God, like, yeah, absolutely, I, I, I'm loved and I belong, it's easier to love and allow others to belong. So I'm going to have Noah come up. We're going to close out with a song. and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for anyone who struggles with that. Like, I don't know if I belong or I'm loved. And I'm nervous about making mistakes. Because I don't see that in the gospel that Jesus is trying to convey. I don't see that in the gospel that Jesus is trying to push forward into the world. He said, I will eat with you and sit with you and eat with you as many times as it takes. I will sit down and break bread with you. I will eat the fish with you. I will show you my hands. I will let you talk to me. I will talk to you about the scriptures. Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable? I want you to know that I love you and you belong. I want you to be comfortable. And when you go out, it's still, you're still not even going to have enough. I'm going to send the best help ever. 
because he wants us to succeed. So God, I pray for anyone right now who just, man, they struggle with a sense of love and belonging. Maybe that's from, their, from your love or from, it's from people or, or some combination of both. I pray for the Holy Spirit right now in this room as we, as we close out this afternoon. The Holy Spirit, we, we invite you to come do work on our hearts. Holy Spirit, you are love. I pray that we would feel, feel that. And for those hearts who are weak right now, just feel alone, feel imperfect, feel discouraged. Jesus, we invite you in to, to, to just put your arms around that person and love on them. Thank you. We love you. Amen.